Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Have you ever wondered where is God with all the evil in the world? Like, we have gone through so much in the past years. It's like, what's going on? Why does it feel like we are always losing? Why does it feel like across the globe that evil is always winning and we're always losing? Like, in all of my stories that I love, the good guys always win. In Star Wars, the good guys always win, kind of. Like, in, in all of my movies, the hero wins. Those movies that lift us up, we say, okay, the good guys are supposed to win. But when I look at the world around me, I ask this question. God, why are we losing so bad? It doesn't take long to figure this out, that for some reason, injustice, pain, evil is winning. But this is not a new thing. This isn't new to Generation Z. It's not new to the 2000s. You scroll things back and start to go back in history. You actually find out that this pain, suffering, and injustice is something that's been going on a lot longer than the last 20 years. So since we're in the Back to the 90s series, I'm going to go back to the 90s. For those of us who were in that time frame, you'll remember these things. And if you were not around in the 90s or just born in that time, you might remember or actually see a thread of what was going on back then is now influencing you today. So check this out. For those who lived through this, remember, on August 2nd, 1990, Iraqi army tanks rolled into Kuwait and in two days took control of the country. Iraq accused Kuwait of stealing oil. U.S. forces declared war. 1990. Right after that, and many of us remember this, U.S. launched Operation Desert Storm to evacuate Iraqi forces from Kuwait. It was 42 days long. There was great, heavy casualties for the forces. 1991, the Somalian Civil War. A famine situation goes to crisis levels. United Nations launches a peacekeeping mission to get food into this, into the country. On December 9, 1992, U.S. Marines, supported by United Nations, launched Operation Restore Hope. The intervention was an absolute failure. 91 to 95, we had the Bosnia-Croatian War of Independence. Slovenia, Croatia, Macedonia declared independence. What happened was a brutal ethnic cleansing led by Bosnian Serb forces that resulted in a massacre of thousands of people. 1994, the Rwandan genocide on April 6, 1994. The president was shot down by a missile fired over the capital. Rivaling ethnic groups blamed each other, leading to 800,000 people brutally killed. 1996, Afghanistan and Taliban seized control. And during this time, the conflict over the country took a major toll. People were caught in the middle of the brutal battle. Al-Qaeda, promoted by Osama bin Laden, joined the support of the Taliban. This isn't a new thing. There are times throughout history when it seems like absolute chaos is always reigning. And I am a kid of the 90s. I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s and really rocked and was influenced by the 90s. And during my time, all I saw was war and conflict. 
Oftentimes, as Gen Z, we look at the younger generation who is 9-11. Gen Z has grown up in terror. Gen Z, which is our young ones right now, born 97 to 2012-ish, they're afraid of school shootings. If you were older than them, I wasn't afraid of being shot in school, but they are. They could get on, we could get on airplanes as we chose, and we'd get on an airplane, we'd walk right on. You could say goodbye to your loved one at the gate. They've only known going through multiple scanners, pat-downs, and a fear that a bomb is going to go off, all because of 9-11. Gen Z has had a terrible hard time of understanding terror and fear because of the evil and the racism and the destruction that's happening around them. Gen X lived through what we just talked about, but baby boomers have lived through Vietnam. I hear stories and talk with people from that generation who as their high school friends, think about this for a second if this was not you. If it was you, you relate. High school friends are being taken at the age of 18 and they're brought into the military with many of them not coming home. The war wrecked our nation. There was division. There was anger. There was so much strife over that time. And the world was at war once again. And I obviously have to talk about the silent generation or the GI generation. They lived through World War II, the Korean War. They lived through major conflicts that was wrecking the entire world. Think about this. When you have Adolf Hitler in the world, how can you say that God wins? How can you say that there's a God who cares about us when all of this is going on? And so the generations that are alive right now, all we can do is sit back and say, Oh my word, God, where are you? Now let's just, for the sake of making this the most depressing sermon you've ever heard in your life. Let's add to this, let's add to this a pandemic. Our generation is living through a pandemic. Nobody knew how to handle it. It wasn't expected. It came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, we're sideswept with this. And let's add to it, oh, let's throw a sprinkle a little bit of, I don't know, how about some tension in politics in there? I mean, it's not really a thing, right? So we have tension of politics. We're fighting amongst ourselves. We're fighting in the world. Evil seems to be reigning, not only then, but now we say this. God, why are they winning? Where are you? And how long are you going to let this go on? How long, God? I'm tired. And, and as Gen X, I'm tired. I can't imagine being a boomer who's lived through even more. I can't imagine being the silent generation for those who've seen so much strife and pain and evil. And it feels like the bad guys are always winning. Because even when the good guys win, there's still death and destruction. There's mayhem. But this is not new. It's not new to us. It's not new to our generations. It's new to us as a country because we're a baby country. But we've got to stop thinking that God's focus of all of eternity is on the United States of America. He is focused on his story and his plan greater than our little baby country that's not that old. He sees a bigger scheme and a bigger story going on. So when we move our size, ourselves outside of what we are used to and what we know, we see that this is emphatically not new and that the Old Testament writes about it all of the time. And here we are in the Psalms. Psalm 94 is what we're going to be studying today. In Psalm 94, you're going to see the psalmist talking exactly what we had just talked about. He is like, what in the world is going on, Lord? Why does it feel like I'm always losing? Why are all the wicked out there? 
why don't you just squish them? Get them out of existence. If you just end this, if you stop this from happening, God, this isn't fair, this isn't just, this isn't right. I want my revenge. But listen to what the psalmist said, because this is very, very important to know as we dig into this. Psalm 94, if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, your iPads, please flip there. We'll have it up here on the screen as well, but read the words for yourself too in your word. This passage is going to give us a new perspective, and this is this. The very things we look, which we look to destroy our faith and produce despair. Hold on that word for a second. Destroy our faith and produce despair. Do you think we're in despair right now as a world? Despair. I'm losing my faith. The very things which look to destroy our faith and produce despair can be turned into an opportunity for worship and praise. That is a totally different way of thinking. The things which are looking to crush you, destroy you, kill you, the evil that rises up. The psalmist actually says this, and it blew my mind when I read it too because like, God, I'm tired of all this too. I'm relating with the psalmist. I got to the end. I'm like, okay, wow, different perspective. Everything can be turned around to worship God. And the psalmist is going to take us through this in Psalm 94 because the psalmist was in a time of great peril. Let's read together. The Lord is a God who avenges. Oh, a God who avenges, shine forth, rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see the God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble, till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against the evildoers? Unless the Lord has given me help, I would soon have dealt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety, let's just sit on that word for a second, anxiety. Anybody anxious in here today? Anxiety. When anxiety was great within me, your consultation brought me joy. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, a throne that brings on misery by its decrees? The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death, but the Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. Cool. But when? But when, Lord? That's the question we all sit on. I hear what you're saying, psalmist. I get this idea, this big idea that the wicked are out there and they don't believe in you and they talk against you and they blaspheme you. I know and I see that the wicked seem to be running the whole roost. I know that the wicked is running throughout it. 
But at the same time, I do wicked things. At the same time, I mess up. At the same time, I bring evil into the world. At the same time, there's things I do against you which you won't have revenge against me for. At the same time, I make mistakes as one who follows Jesus. At the same time, I am the one who's birthing sin into the world. Every time I sin, I am now the mother of that sin because I've birthed it into existence for all of you guys to be hurt by. So the better question is this, when, oh God, are you going to destroy Jason Montano? When, oh God, will you avenge me against that man? That man has hurt me, that man has broken me, that man has done evil in my sight, that man has birthed evil into the world, when will you crush him, Lord? When will he crush you? Because you've birthed evil into the world, if you're new to this, uh, you've, you've produced evil, you've sinned. We all have. The word says that we've all sinned. So we are the product of bringing sin into the world. But isn't it so much easier to be, always be the hero of the story? I'm the hero of my story. So I can say, look, I'm the hero and you guys are the bad guys. And everything I did was good. But look at all the people who have hurt me and all the evildoers in my life and all of my enemies. So I'm like, God, crush my enemies. Crush him. Crush her. Crush them all, do it now, ready, go. But the Lord doesn't do it that way. Because in my story, I'm the good guy, they're the bad guys. In their story, I'm the bad guy, and they're the good guys. So who's going to win this battle right now? Our perspective shifts a bit when we start to put ourselves into the story and stop saying, sin is away from me and the evildoers are out there. We're actually part of this whole story. The beautiful thing that we're going to learn about this is that God's justice is right. And God knows us and our heart. And then the beautiful thing for those who accept Jesus Christ as our Savior is the gospel. And now the gospel, the blood of Christ, which covers us, Jesus literally has taken all of that wrath and punishment for me. Because I should be squished. I should be avenged. But yet, for some reason, Jesus takes it for me and the wrath of God's not on me. Now, why don't I get crushed? Why do I get to move on? It's simply by the grace of God. And so the psalmist, as we dig into this, takes the perspective of pulling back and looking at the holiness, who God is, his position as the true judge. And we start to realize this. If we change our perspective and give God his rightful place on the throne... We then ask him to avenge those, Lord, who speak against him, those who speak against God's ways and his decrees. We have a new perspective, and it humbles us and brings us to our knees and brings us to a place of worship because you realize you're supposed to be crushed too. When you think everyone else is supposed to be crushed, it's really easy to be really angry at everybody else. When you realize the sins of the things that have been going on with all the terror and everything we're talking about is the same sin that would have sent me to death without Jesus, is the same sin for all of us, we start to look at the gospel as something that's so beautiful and it transforms our way of thinking in our life that the very way we look at scriptures and God and life changes. And now we say, Lord, we worship you for your mercy on us. And Lord God, I know you will bring justice to those who speak against you. So let's dig back into this passage. I'll unpack this for you today. We're going to start at verses 1 to 3. God is judge of the earth. Verses 1 to 3. Let's read it again. The Lord is a God who avenges. A God who, O oh God, avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth. 
pay back the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? He makes it clear that vengeance is not ours to take. It belongs to God. The one who sees knows more, and his timing is going to be perfect. What seems like delaying, it seems like, are you even really paying attention to us, puts us at the center of the story instead of God, the Almighty One, the Holy One. Maybe perhaps our issues and our perspective at times get shifted because we make a really big God a little bit smaller and we make a really small you a little bit bigger and you feel that you have a right to have more of a jurisdiction of what's going on here. And so when we kind of move ourselves together a little bit closer, I'm bigger than I think, God's smaller than he is, now I can say, you need to do what I want. Like a bratty child saying to his father, I want a snack pack now. But that's not who God is. This God is a big God who right now, his very presence is here with us at the same time, spins stars in his hands. Let's make this out to what it is. This same God who knows all, sees all, this powerful God who loves all, who sacrificed all, did it because he just is love. Let's think about this God from the perspective of who he is. Who is he to listen to us? Who is he to listen to you? But he does. This great God listens to us. And so we can bring these requests before him, and it's appropriate for us to ask this question, hey God, how long is it going to be until you take care of the wicked? When are you going to take care of sin, God, because sin's killing us? When are the wicked going to be accountable for everything they've done? Lord, just, I believe in you, but when are you going to take care of this business? It's an appropriate question to ask. The psalmist is asking a question, you need to do it now. It's not that, it's Lord, when? Because when we look at our perspective of what's been going just in your lifetime, the psalmist is writing way before our lifetime and there was a lot going on. If you haven't read or engaged the Old Testament, wars, 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 over and over and over and over again. This is not new. Sin and evil has run rampant. And they've always asked, God, when are you going to take care of business? I think God is smarter than you are. I mean, forgive me. You might be smart. But I think God's smarter than you are. And I am. I think God has a plan that's bigger than us. And I think the one who is just will bring justice. And so he speaks in this word here. He says, this isn't a vindictive, angry spirit. God's not vindictive. God actually brings justice to that which is due. Justice is different than vindiction. So if you in your heart are saying like we talked before, this person did that, this person did that, go get them. Is that coming from a place of justice or you want revenge? Now, again, I'll only speak for myself because I know everybody here is way more awesome than me. Every time I find myself in that place, it's been revenge. I'm angry, I'm hurt. Go get them, God. And instead of taking the place of God, your justice reigns. God, if that means your justice means that you hold back, I believe in it. God, that means your justice, that nothing's ever going to come from it, I believe in that. That's the right attitude. My attitude is, 
like two Rottweilers on chains. I release them. Go get them. And I release them to go maul my enemy and say, look at what you did to me. Now we're even. That is not justice. Justice looks at it not from a place of a vindictive heart, but from a place of what is good and what is due. And that is how God works. Except we see this beautiful thing in the gospel where justice, where we deserve death because of Jesus Christ, he now takes all of that pain, suffering, all of that got put on a Christ. So if you're not sure about Jesus or you're exploring it, maybe you've been here for a while but really haven't engaged the gospel, let me tell you this. The gospel is the most important thing we will always talk about and never stop talking about because everything centers on it, even justice. Because you deserve absolute death for all of the garbage that you've done, but it was paid in full by Jesus Christ. This is not going to church. This is not serving in the nursery. This isn't giving your money to an organization, doing things so God's not mad at you type religion. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ is everything and has changed the world in your life if you give it to him. And so now when I look at the gospel, I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my word, I'm the wicked. I'm the one who's messed up. But because Jesus took it all, God in the word says, I'm seen as righteousness. I'm seen in the playing field with Jesus. Like, I shouldn't even be like looking at the playing field, but because he's taken everything, I'm now called a brother, I'm called a son, I'm called a friend. If you have not embraced that sort of gospel, friends, here today, that is why I do what I do. It's my heartbeat, it's my love, it's my passion, because that way of the gospel has transformed the way I see everything. Everything has changed in my life. And so I look at it from this perspective, God, you're not a vindictive God out to punish and smite and get mad at and take care of my enemies because I'm mad. You're a God of justice who will take care of those who don't repent. They're going to get what's due. And I trust you in that. Let's move on to verses 4 to 7. Here we recognize the wicked are rebelling against God. So he gives a perspective of who the wicked are. They, the wicked, pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. Is there a lot of boasting and arrogance in our world today? I mean, just look at Instagram for two seconds. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. This is a huge spit in the face of God. And maybe you aren't familiar with some things said, said here, so I want to break this down for you. First of all, they use words of arrogance and they boast. And if you know Lord God and the way that he teaches, God calls his people to be humble. Humble servants. And so they are the opposite of those who follow the Lord. He calls his people to be humble, to use words to build each other up. The word calls us not to put myself above you, but to put all of you above me and to humble myself. So first of all, they're in conflict to that. Second of all, they go against God's people. They look to destroy the very people God has redeemed for eternity. God's people are called to be separate and to live for him. We're secured for who have Christ for eternity. At the same time, they're over here saying, mm, you know what, let's kill them all. Which is happening to our friends right now who did not make it out of Af Afghanistan. 
if you follow any missionary work or know what's been going on, for those who have not made it out, if you look at what's been happening, they're on the run for their lives. Countries in which they're oppressed, those who follow Christ, have to hide in basements and underground places to be able to read the Word of God. Today, we come into an air-conditioned building, we have great coffee, and your pastors are dressed like idiots. Lord, please crush those who are doing evil against me today. No. <laughs> but we look at it from a perspective of the evil ones look to stop the movement of God and crush them. Is that happening in our day today? They destroy those who are in great need. And these, if you know the heart of Jesus, when he reads and he's, when we read the red letters, he talks, these are key elements that Jesus was very passionate about. Notice this. Widows, we're supposed to take care of the widows, it says in the scriptures. In Jesus' day, those people, and the days of even of the psalmist, women had a different role in which we see today, and that those who were widowed would have nothing. They couldn't, they couldn't survive. They would move almost to a place of homelessness unless people jumped in and were there. And he says, we need to take care of those who are in need. The foreigner, we look at refugees, those who come who are running from their lives from countries, God and Jesus called us to take care of those who are in great need, the foreigner, the outsider, the refugees. We are supposed to take care of them. And then he moves to the big one, the fatherless. Jesus loves children. And he says, take care of the widows and the orphans. Orphans will be left to die. And here we say the wicked goes after the heart of God, which is to help those who are in the greatest need. I want to see crushed, the evil ones say, that which is the heart of God. Those who are in need, let's crush them and kill them. But the people of God say opposite. We take care of those in need. We help the out, those who are on the outside. We care for those who are broken. We love the widows. We love the, we love the orphans. We take care of them. So you see the evil in this statement keeps going against that which God loves. And then for the final blow in verse 7, they mock the Lord God Almighty. He doesn't see you the God of Jacob, which would be the God of Yahweh. The Lord doesn't see. He's not even noticing you. I think that statement is all over right now. God's not here. He doesn't see you. You're crying out to him, hey, nice prayer group. He doesn't listen to you. See how the evil that's winning? There's no God. There's no God at all. In fact, the movement that's happening now, if you've heard the term deconstructionalism, deconstructionalism is now that Christians are going back and saying, Everything I learned was not true. I do not believe there's a God. I deny everything. God never saw me. He didn't hear me. I had a terrible life, and it's all God's fault. And instead of going to the Word of God, they go to what's on their heart. What I feel is that God is not here. What I feel is that God doesn't see me. What I've experienced is that God didn't listen to me. Much like it says here, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob takes no notice. But then, things make a big shift in verses 8 and 11. Let's read it. Because now we rebuke those who rebel against God. Verse 8. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? Does he who fashioned, he who created the ear, you're telling me he can't hear you? Are you telling me that he can't hear even though he created the whole idea of hearing? Does he who formed the eye not see? Dude, this is such like a, a one-two punch. Like, oh, get him, psalmist, right? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? 
Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. They are pointless. They are meaningless. So our psalmist goes back to the truth. And this is, friends, why I'm going to keep telling you until I'm blue in the face. You need to read the word of God. You must read the book. You need to study it. If you're confused, ask Pastor Nick. He's smarter than me. You need to be in the book, meriting it, because if you are not in the book and the truth of God, you're going to say like we started this whole time, where are you, God? You're nowhere. You're not listening. But the word of God is so full and rich from Genesis to Revelation to bring truth. And here is truth. He hears you because he created ears. Just think for a second. This is just logic. He teaches you things. He's created everything. I think he's smarter than us. He's created eyes and the whole idea that you can sense and see and smell. And I could just see the psalmist kind of leaning forward like, "Mm, I think he knows what's going on. But when we are in despair and we pull ourselves outside of the truth of God, it's so easy. And I do it. I'm sure you have too. We pull ourselves outside of the word and start to say, God, where are you? Everyone's winning. Evil's everywhere. You don't see me. You don't hear me. You don't love me. Do you see what happened today? You don't care about me. Do you know what happened over here? Obviously not because you're not paying attention, God. The word says that's not true. He hears. He sees. So simple logic. If someone creates something, I think they know how it works. Therefore, our God hears us and he sees us. The word of God is so important. And so all of us have been through so much, so much difficult times. I know so many stories in this room right now. And if I don't know your story, I'm just going to put you there. You've been through a lot. You've been through a lot. So my question to you is where are you going when you are in pain? Where are you going with the problems? Are you in the word or are you on a news feed? Are you looking to find out what Jesus said or are you looking to find what some Christian author said? Now, I'm not saying Christian authors, they say some good stuff, right? I'm not saying they're good, but I'm saying the word of God is better. Amen. When you get into a time of despair and you start to look and you start to say, God, where are you? Are you talking with your girlfriends around a cup of coffee who are giving you advice? Or are you saying, girls, let us explore the word of God together to find the truth of what he has for us? When we separate ourselves from truth, the truth of the word Things get really fuzzy really quick. And I believe that's why we are where we are today. We're getting further and further away from the word of God. We're stepping back from it. We're questioning if it's real. I don't know. So let's just use logic for a second. Are you telling me that God which created all things couldn't have the power to control what book you have in your hand right now that tells his entire story? You think he doesn't have that power? Like, you're like, oops, didn't know they messed that one up. Like, oh, well, like, just worship that book, you know, whatever. Like, you tell me the God of the universe didn't know what we would be reading to know and learn about him? It's some mistake? That doesn't make any sense. The one who has knowledge, who created knowledge, is going to offer us knowledge. So in the same way, when we are outside of this, outside of our time with God, outside of however you connect with God, and you're more focused on connecting with information, news, media, outside of there, That is why we are all jacked up. So I challenge you, friends, and I'm begging you, if you've never engaged the word, please start. If you are new, just read a verse, one verse. You don't have to read the whole book. You don't have to read Genesis to Revelation. Just open it and read anything. 
If it's a really weird one, I'm sorry. Pick a different one, okay? Like, there's some crazy verses which are awesome too. But read the Word. And if you haven't been in the Word for a while, go back. Go back to this because His truth, the, the author here just drops truth on us that's so powerful. The Word of God gives us hope that God is in control. The Word of God gives you hope that God is in control. And that for God's got this. So let's move on because this is getting more and more spicy. God's people will never be cast off, verses 12 to 15. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, from the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness, and the upright in heart will follow it. As God's people at the writing this was Israel, and at the time of Jesus it shifts now that this this blessing of God now transfers to all of us. And so in God's people and with Jesus, we literally have nothing to fear because he doesn't go back on his promises. That's not who God is. God is not trying to trick you. There's no like, oops, psych, you didn't know that was right, and flip a coin on you. He's made it very, very clear. Here's the promise I offer you. You are not good enough for me because you've sinned. My son has taken your place and received all the judgment and wrath that I have. Now, because of that, you are free. The end. If you don't have this middle part, all the judgment and wrath goes to you, and therefore you will be separated from me forever. That's the Bible summarized for you really fast. The promise that we have that we can be saved is the same promise we have if you don't accept Christ as your Savior, you're apart from him. It's the same promise. He doesn't go back on his promises. Because God is a holy God, he loves his people, he protects his people, and he's not going to say, oh, you almost made it, you're gone. There's no scary walk here to be had. And if you've ever explored other religions, Christianity is the only religion, major religion, because there's lots of offshoots, major religion, that actually God loves you, and you don't know how this is all going to end. It all depends on how good of a person you are. All the other religions give you, like, if you walk this tightrope, maybe God's going to like you, maybe he won't. Maybe you've done enough to enter into his paradise. Actually, only a certain amount of people get into paradise in this one. And maybe you've got this other viewpoint that, depending on God's mood, because he's moody and angry, depends. And if you've done enough, maybe he'll reincarnate and come back, and then you can move to nirvana, and blah, 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 blah. Then we see the word of God. Hey, you're messed up. I love you. I've taken the price for you. Follow me. Well, that's it. It's pretty simple. But it's overcomplicated. We overcomplicate it because it seems that we have to give up our life for something. God's people, God is very protective of. And you are God's people simply this. Those who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Now my life transformation and why I'm becoming more like him is because I'm a disciple of him. I am John, Peter, I'll take Peter because he's always angry. I'm Peter in the year 2021. You're looking at one of his 12 disciples. And if you follow Christ, you're one of them too. We're on the same mission he had. We're part of his people and he's given us a promise. Now I follow him because I get to follow him. I realize God's smarter than me and his way of life is better than what I had for myself. And so that transformation over time isn't what saves you. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves you period. And you're his people. 
And so therefore we say, okay, I have nothing to be afraid of. You're not going to reject me. You're not going to forsake me. And judgment is found in righteousness and the upright of the heart will follow it. I follow the way of God because I'm one of his. His promises are legit. I have nothing to worry about. Think of how awesome that is. We don't have to worry about if I've done enough to get in. You are in because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Because God's in control. God's got this. But now I love where we go to 16 and 19. Comfort for God's people. You wonder where God is, God will help you. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dealt, dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When Here's our word again, because this is our word of our generation. When anxiety was great within me. Consultation brought me joy. When you have anxiety that is through the roof, people of God know this, God's got this. Anxiety is a fear that we can't control what's about to happen. And if you're new to this story, let me just give you a little insight. You can't. But God can. God, when you look at the perspective of anxiety, I'm afraid. And what we fear, I think, more so than anything is that we don't like the results or the outcome of what's to happen. And that is fair. Because a lot of life gives us an outcome or result we don't like. And that's fair. You know why that's fair? Because I, don't, I never wanted to be standing here. The pathway to me becoming a church planner was one in which my life went through hell and back again. My life was broken. My emotions were broken. My spiritual life was broken. My physical life was broken. God broke me down to the absolute floor. I said, God, I'm never doing ministry again because your people are nuts. I'm done. Church people hurt too much. So if you ever feel that, friends, I relate with you. I sat there at that point and said, there's no way I'm doing this. Never. I'm done. I'm going to go make real money. I'm going to go do real things. I'm done with this nonsense. But I stand here today because God had a different plan. I stand here today not boasting, but broken before you. To say that God gave me a call and I couldn't hear him because I was so broken but he took a broken person full of anxiety and fear. He took a man who isn't worthy to stand on a stage and speak. I'm a skateboarder from the 80s, as you can tell from my awesome clothing right now. How in the world did you take such a messed up kid and ask him to be on a movement of God that transforms our community in the world? I say, who am I, God? I'm full of anxiety, and yet my foot is slipping. He says, I got you. I got you. I didn't want the outcome, but now I sit here today and say I couldn't dream of a different outcome. I look at the outcome of what I went through. I wouldn't wish that on any of you, what pain I had to go through to stand here today. And at the same time, I look to God and I say, God, I'd do it all again for everybody in this room. Great are you, God, and worthy of praise. In the middle of it, I sat on my knees weeping, saying, God, where are you? I'm right here, Jason, and I got you. So if you're afraid of the outcome, I hear you. If you're afraid of your anxiety says, I don't know what's going to happen next, I relate to you. If you are afraid of something's going to happen that you don't want, I fully understand it. This is all I can say. 
is that God is there and he's got this. And it's okay to not like the outcome sometimes. It's okay to struggle because I'm not going to give you the Christianese answer of, hey, no worries. Just follow God and everything's great. No. In fact, I'd say it's harder. But it's good. My life is worth something because of him, not because of me. I have a purpose in life of following the master and helping others follow the master because of the gospel. That is what we live for. So what do I have to be afraid of? When your perspective, your perspective changes, what, why do I fear the future? Why do I fear death? Why do I fear sickness? Why do I fear war? Why do I fear politics? Why do I fear what's going to happen next? Why do I fear about my next paycheck? Why do I fear if I'm going to get food tomorrow? Why do I fear these things? Because the Bible tells me don't be anxious about anything. The Bible says in Jesus' teaching that he says, why are you worried about this stuff? Don't you see all the birds of the air? God feeds them. He loves you more. He's going to feed you too. You're like, ugh. And your perspective changes. I say, God, I trust you. That usually doesn't come unless you are crushed. When you are crushed and you have nothing left and food is on your table, you pray a little different. When you are crushed and you feel broken, and God speaks to you and comforts you, you pray different. I speak from experience, and friends who've been through much, you know what I'm saying. We don't have to be anxious. The Lord God has this. And he wraps up with this, verses 20 to 23. God defends his people. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, a throne that brings on misery by its decrees, the wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy him, them. The psalmist knew that evils in high places, the corrupt throne would be allied with you. There are super mega powers. Just think throughout the world how much evil is in large places, in large countries, in large corporations, maybe it's your boss or your company, or maybe it's overseas in a large country. Evil seems to be all around us. And he says this, are you going to tell me right now that you're going to allow leaders to be connected with you that's bringing misery to everybody? How can that be, God? Because they're banding together, evil bands together, to con and brings in innocent death. 9-11 was innocent death death. Afghanistan, innocent death. School shootings, innocent death. God, how in the world are you allowing this to happen? And the psalmist ends this. He brings us, and this is where we're going to just soak for a second. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. I run to the castle of God and what here I know what's there He's got me. And then it says this, He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy him. So let me say this, friends. We have nothing to fear. The Lord will take care of what's happening in the world. The Lord will take care of what's happening in your world. Our world is, and our opportunity is not to bring justice, to bring revenge. In fact, it's the opposite. We're to humble ourselves and to pray for our enemies is what Jesus tells us. The Lord will repay the sin and the wickedness which is in the world. The Lord will have what is right and that which is due goes out. And that is justice. 
At the same time, because of the gospel, grace now takes all of that off of you because of Jesus Christ. God's got this. God's plan is good. God's plan is right. And for those who worry over all the global news and everything and all the injustice, the racial tension, the racial killing, all of this stuff where it seems you turn on news like, I can't take it anymore. Maybe turn off news, open Bible. Uh, just, I'm just going to throw it out there. All right, let me get a couple of amens on this. Turn off your social media feed, open Bible. Instead of grabbing your phone and going to Facebook news, open the verse of the day in your Bible app. Just start to look at a perspective because when I watch the news, we lose. When I open the Bible, we win. When I watch what's on CNN, I'm losing. When I open up to Matthew, I say, ooh, God wins. When I open my Bible and I say, ooh, in Revelation, all this stuff's happening, but we win, I start to remember this beautiful story. God's got this and he wins. The further I am from that story, the more I'm looking at everything happening today, and everybody says this. Everybody says this. This is the worst generation ever. My generation were better. No, you weren't. We're all terrible. Everybody has strife and, and everybody's going through so much. But friends, when we turn off the news feed and we turn to the word of God, your perspective shifts. So here's what I'm leaving you with. Where's your perspective today? Do you feel like you're winning? Do you feel like we're winning? Do you feel like we're losing? Do you feel like you're losing? Friends, perspective shifts in the beauty of the word. And this psalmist today gave us a truth that rocks us, even though so much calamity is around us, trust the Lord God Almighty has it. God has got this. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.